this out. This is the You're Not Listening to This Podcast. And it's been a few years, but this is Will James. So it's been actually kind of difficult, right? It's been difficult for everybody, of course, in this time frame. So let's me, let me just start off with this. Um, my heart is heavy, obviously, over the death um, of George Floyd, the manner of death, the manner of reaction, um, delayed reaction by law enforcement to do what I think is obviously right. Um, I'm with all of you in civil protest, in peaceful protest. I'm with you in your anger. I am uh, on fire inside. And it's tough because I wanted to, I wanted to bring this podcast back while in quarantine because... Here I am stuck in my house uh, with recording equipment that's just collecting dust. So why not? But I don't really like to enter this space purely out of anger. Um, and what's nuts is this ultimately is a, a podcast where I've only dealt with race and religion. Uh, not by design. It's just how it has worked out so far. Mostly religion. But I at first couldn't quite get to a place um, to be productive here from a religious standpoint because of things that were going on uh, within my uh, worldview of origin surrounding uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. And then as that started to, I started to try to get a grasp of that, you know, we had just too many deaths. Brianna shot at home. Ahmad shot on the jog. George Floyd. And it's been this, the situation where it feels it would feel selfish to come in and, and, and talk about whatever I wanted to talk to and not address the horrors that we're dealing with as a nation and uh, a world. But I don't, I, don't, I don't know that I'm in a place to necessarily uh, address the, 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 any of this, honestly. I don't want to call it a, a strictly a George Floyd protest or uprising because he, it isn't that. It's so much more than that. It's so many, so many names that go on this list, so many un, injustices. And it's... It's tough from the perspective of people that have been trying to point out these problems for their entire lives and the lives of the people before them. And so when you see, you know, more and more allies, 
quote unquote, you know, popping up and 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 seeming to awaken to things. It's somewhat encouraging. Yet at the same time, it's like if Tamir Rice didn't get to you, then you're going to get over George Floyd. Like if if the police gunning down a 12-year-old within two seconds of pulling up to a park in which he was playing alone on a snowy day with a BB gun, yes, but no one around, no one in immediate danger, even if the gun had been real. And within two seconds, within two seconds of the police car coming to a stop, 12-year-old boy is dead. Nothing changed after that. Nothing changed after any of these names, any of these incidents. And I understand that there's a big uprising right now, but we've also all been locked down in our homes for a few months with a lot of frustration we want to get out. So my hope is tampered because these flames have other fuel in them. And so I'm not in a place to really to really be constructive because I don't like those of you that are handling this properly right now. Like you know what I'm saying? Like I'm I'm so upset that you can all get it. Those of you that don't deserve it can get it. So that's the <laughs> That's the place I'd rather not speak to you from, yet here we are. And since this is ultimately a race and religion podcast, I'm going to try not to, I'm going to try to keep it reined in here. And on brand, if <laughs> if there is such a thing. I listened to I listened to a sermon last night. My mom sent me one. Um, and it was interesting. And, the, and this is kind of where we're going. Um, the way Christianity handles racism. Uh, is very bonkers to me. Like, the statements Christians will make in the, I guess, attempt to, like, empathize or whatever tend to I don't know. They tend to there's there's so many blind spots and things that I've I've noticed. Like in this in the sermon last night, and I love this guy. The guy that was preaching is like a family friend. I'm not knocking him or anything necessarily that he said. But he was talking about well, he wasn't even talking about this, but obviously being a black man, 
George Floyd came up because it's on the top of all of our minds. But he was talking about the the Matthew it's twenty five signs of the of the end signs of the second coming and that nation will rise against nation and how that uh, I guess linguistically it's it's ethnos will rise against ethnos. And he was basically saying that like racial confrontations that we are seeing right now, like this, inf- the, these incidents, these protests around the world about race are, this is prophesied. This is a sign of the times. Like this is what the Bible included in these, in these topics as if, as if to say this is all part of the plan. Now that was not his point necessarily. But it's an interesting thing to th- to think and say, and it's um, it's reflective of what we do a lot of times with scripture, and knowing that it's so set apart from us in time, that we have such a passion to place ourselves within it, right? And so to make th- this argument that what we're experiencing is what Matthew is talking about is to suggest that racial discord hasn't been occurring from day one. America has a very interesting uh, history with, with, with racism. But that racism predates us, predates this country. You don't go get a bunch of boatloads of Africans and then later decide to be racist about black people. You're already like another guy. And this is, this is kind of where I wanted to go the, go with this. Um, so there's a minister, his name is, it doesn't matter. Uh, but he was on Twitter after everything happened and he said, preaching and especially practicing the gospel of Jesus Christ is the most anti-racist thing that can be done by anyone ever. The gospel alone is powerful enough to thoroughly and lastingly fix people, all people. Therefore, the gospel alone has the power to truly end racism. Now, that's the kind of tweet that's going to get you an amen. That's the kind of statement that's going to get people to say, oh, thank you, Jesus, all that. But that's the biggest crock of nonsense I've literally ever heard. Now, let me tell you why. First off, to be a pastor, a white pastor, by the way, just for what it's worth, and say that preaching is the most anti-racist thing that anyone can do ever, is patting yourself on the back. Yes, I'm a white man. I'm not racist. I'm a preacher of the gospel. Now, he tweeted this, so that's a problem. People are going to catch the blind spots in this statement. And he argued against the blind spots as if he didn't have them, as if uh, them being brought up weren't valid points. But preaching of the gospel has 
been going on for thousands of years and racism coming through the church has been going on exactly the same period of time. It has never not been there. Practicing in the gospel of Jesus Christ is something that a lot of people have thought they were doing that were just as racist as anybody else. People left their plantations on Sunday morning and they went to church and they came back and they whipped our asses. They prayed for forgiveness of their sins and what they were doing to us were not on that list. I was recently making a list of the 10 most influential books of my life. Um, A friend of mine had done a podcast about it, Jonathan Martin. And I thought it was a good idea, and and I was doing them in this chronological order. And the the second book on that list is the autobiography of Malcolm X. And the reason, well, one of the reasons, is because that book gave me an interesting uh, perspective on race and religion. Like, I'd read a lot about Martin Luther King at the time when I'd read that book. But it was all from his perspective. So he's preaching. He's preachy. He's a minister. So I'm hearing him say inclusive things from a biblical perspective. And it's like, oh, see, this is how you, this is why Christianity is above these things. Yet the opening paragraph of the the autobiography of Malcolm X says, the Klansmen shouted threats and warnings at her, his mother that we had better get out of town because the good Christian white people were not going to stand for my father's spreading trouble among the good Negroes of Omaha. So I'm reading this book and I'm like, wait, hold, time out. The Klan saw itself protecting the church and good Christian people. Now they've got the gospel. They're spreading the gospel. They think they're practicing the gospel in the way that they're interacting with each other. It's just they have a skewed perspective of who black people are, people of color. They have a skewed perspective of women. And so you can't just say being in possession of the gospel of Jesus is inherently anti-racist. It's still you that's in possession of it. Now, the reason this this kind of thing gets said is it's like, well, when someone truly understands the gospel of Jesus and Jesus is living in their life, he will change their heart and, you know, these other old things will fall away. And that's beautiful. It sounds great. And especially in a religion like the minister that tweeted, my minister friend I'd spoken of, because we're, well, um, we're under the Seventh-day Adventist banner. And so getting rid of all negative characteristics in this lifetime is a low-key requirement. So we have to think things like that because we know that there's stuff inside of all of us that we just naturally do that's probably not the best. And so we have these weird, weird beliefs. But... Being Adventist, there's a 
a lady that existed in the past, in the 1800s, whom we give complete respect to and almost biblical-like authority. Some Adventists would place her on par, many. But in 1904, she lived quite a bit by then. She's in her, I don't know, 60s, 70s by 1904. She's been God's special messenger for 50 years at this point. She wrote, because you have a colored skin, that is no sin against God, because of this you cannot help. But you can have a white soul, and you can have a reward in the heavenly courts equal to the reward of any white man. Now, this is an extremely progressive statement, except she still said you can have a white soul. So the ideal to Ellen White was whiteness. What Jesus wanted, what God wanted, was whiteness. Remembering this, she said a couple of years earlier, you'll be able to bear the trials which meet you here. In heaven, there will be no color line, for all will be as white as Christ himself. Let us thank God that we can be members of the royal family. As white as Christ himself. She couldn't imagine a God, a Jesus, a Savior that didn't look like her and that something was off that we didn't and that even though we were lesser than, God wouldn't hold it against us. Now, that's not anti-racist. <laughs> I just want to point that out. And not to be heavy on her, Peter. Peter, in Acts 5, which I, this also came up in the sermon uh, that I heard yesterday. Peter, at one point in time, was so tapped into the divinity of the risen Christ, so tapped into the will of God and the Holy Spirit, that he was walking through, and his shadow, when his shadow cast on a sick person or a person possessed with the demon, they were healed. He was so tapped in that his shadow cast a healing power of God. Now, it wasn't until five chapters later that Peter is given visions that says, hey, you know, you're keeping the gospel just within the Jewish family, and it's intended for everyone. Judge no one for where they come from. So he's super tapped in five chapters later, but then we find out, oh, he's been being racist this whole time. In Galatians, well after he's spreading the gospel to the Gentiles, well after he's realized his racism is wrong, Paul calls Peter out. And he's like, hey, now I know for a fact that you eat and chill and hang with the Gentiles and, and defy Jewish 
tradition when you do it. But for some reason, when other Jewish people are around, you won't deal with them at all. You don't want your people to see you associate with those people or adopting their culture in any way. But when they're not looking, you have no problem coming over and trying to fit in. So then we have Peter using his privilege and choosing when and where not it is beneficial for him to be a proper Jewish person. You see, having information, apparently even saving information, hadn't changed Peter that much, at least not in the, the area of race relations. It's always been a problem. From the people Jesus walked with on the planet in real time, they had a problem with it. No one has carried this thing without racial problems with it. If the church had beaten it, the church would still have it beaten. But I grew up in a segregated Seventh-day Adventism. In fact, it's still segregated. This church that has the epitome and the pinnacle of the gospel message, the everlasting gospel of revelations, the full and true interpretation of prophecy and yada, 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 and the proper interpretation of everything. And Jim Crow era said, you know, we don't have a problem telling black people about the message of Adventism and the truth of these times. But I don't think we should worship together. I don't think that our churches should be joined. I don't think our organizations should be intertwined. Uh, in this Jim Crow era, perhaps we should remember what Ellen said in, well, we're waiting for Jesus to show us a better way. A better way of being one church. But that would suggest being one church, the proper ways of doing it, the proper mentality to have, to be able to engage in people from different cultures and ethnicities in a productive manner, don't exist in the Bible. So that whole Acts 2 church thing, garbage. At least in terms of race relations. I mean, they didn't have Jim Crow rules. I mean, it was just you know, crucifixions and beheadings and being boiled in oil. But they didn't have to go to the market and, and talk to Susan or Karen about why they were seen sitting next to me in a church pew. In 1944, I believe, the General Conference was set up where they said, you know what, look, we're going to take all these black churches and we're just going to give them their own regions, their own organization, completely separate them. So there's a white conference 
in a black region that overlapped where I grew up. Everywhere. They overlapped everywhere. But it's fully segregated. There are black churches and white churches in Adventism just like there are in everything else. Noon on Sunday is the most segregated hour in America. The gospel alone is powerful enough. And what are y'all doing with it? Because I'm sick and tired of this. And I'm sick and tired of these band-aids. These, this is the equivalent of thoughts and prayers when someone gets shot. It's the same thing. It's, well, you know, you just need a little more Jesus. And this will all stop. It ain't stopping. And Jesus been around. So what are y'all doing with it? What are we doing with the most anti-racist thing but teaching it from segregated pulpits to segregated pews? How blind are we? It's very frustrating. It's very frustrating. And I don't mean to bash all of Christianity by any means. I can only really talk about Adventism. I mean, I can talk about racism in other churches. That's that's obvious. It's obvious to see. But my beef around social issues and the worldview of my origin, I can't speak for your denomination, is that it's so focused on the second coming and how soon it is that all bad things that happen in the world tend to be a sign of the times. And like I like I mentioned earlier, and thus aren't really issues to go try to attack or stop or prevent. It's time to buckle down and make sure your life is right, make sure your mind is right, make sure you're doing these things the proper way because Jesus is coming soon. You can see it because there's racism in the streets. I'm really tired of hearing that message. Like my my wife and I, we are a part somewhat of a, a church community here in Oklahoma City, not Adventist. Um, it actually doesn't have a flag. It's flying, really. Uh, but it's ministered by just justice reform activists. That That's all there really is. The one minister who's not that, basically because he's too young and just finished school, got gassed at a protest just the other day. Like, they're hands-on trying to work on the horrors that happen in their community on a day-to-day basis. Not just sitting back and saying, "Mm, look how bad it's getting. I can't wait for Jesus to come. If the church is going to be the solution to something, it can't just say the message we have is the solution to something. Because for thousands of years, people have distorted that message and made it say the opposite of what it actually says. We don't handle the book very well because we're too stuck on being right about what it says. 
unequally yoked used to mean black people and white people. The mark of Cain, no, the curse of Canaan used to mean black people. The beasts of the field used to mean black people. Slaves, obey your master. Come on. What are we doing here? Why are we patting ourselves on the backs for work we haven't done yet? What is that? It's just, to me, these emphasis where I need to point out how holy I am, how Jesus-y I am. I may not know an exact solution to this trauma, so I'll just say, it's Jesus, so that you know I'm a believer. All right, what now? Because if I'm going off of what people that wave the flag of Jesus do, and that's the witness, you can keep them. You can keep them. Now, luckily, I don't listen to you in the first place. But if you want these kinds of statements to actually have some weight, then there's a lot of work to do. See, I told you, I'm too angry to be talking. Don't stop talking. You are not listening to this.